0: So hello and welcome to Philosophical Tools for Spiritual Life by RRT House. My name is Toby Mendelssohn, and so far in this series we've really been squarely focused on knowledge questions, loosely speaking the domain of epistemology, reason, logic, intuition, prajna, you know, these kinds of issues and topics. And today, we're making rather a big turn from knowledge questions to reality questions. You might say in philosophical parlance, from epistemology to metaphysics and ontology. But as we'll see, actually, this turn kind of leads us back into knowledge questions because we can't really deal with the question, what is reality, without immediately facing the issue of how we get access to it which is kind of a knowledge kind of question. Nonetheless, it still is a shift of kinds to ask one of the most fundamental questions that can be asked, and it's shared between philosophy and science and religion. And the question is, what is the nature of reality? That's what we're asking now. And in responding to this, I'm not actually going to be neutral On the topic because actually i'm not sure it's really possible to be neutral so i'm going to try and tell you what i think reality actually is and maybe also what it isn't and then you're welcome to agree to this and assent or maybe to disagree so you know i think politically it's probably possible to be like a bit of a liberal and a bit of a conservative and a bit of a socialist all at the same time Um, that is you know you can be a bit inconsistent you can even be contradictory Uh, in political domains, but I'm not sure you can be like this on reality questions. Because you'll either end up very, very confused, or maybe, possibly, quite mad. Because, you know, the earth is either flat or round, right? Can't really be both. So in any case, let me start by making the case for why understanding the nature of reality may be helpful for spiritual people. And although I say helpful, I suppose what I really mean is essential. Now, uh, the simple answer to this question is that it's helpful for spiritual people to understand reality because very often, spiritual people do not live in reality. They live in la-la land. For all the reasons I pointed out in the previous episodes, for reasons of ignorance, for mistaken knowledge, for cognitive errors, overactive imaginations, confirmation bias, and all the rest. And actually it's not only spiritual people who might inhabit la-la land. Worldly or materialistic people often do as well, probably even more so, as do many religious people. Really most people do. Most people to not actually have any real understanding of the reality that they inhabit. So, this kind of begs a question what kind of life can you lead if you do not understand the reality you inhabit? Well, I'm not alone in saying that it can only be a deluded kind of life, a life that is wholly incapable. Of offering anything like happiness or flourishing or goodness or well-being or enlightenment or whatever it is that you're aiming for. So ethics, how we should live, is deeply wrapped up in this train because how can you know how to live if you don't know what the reality is that you're living in? So if you get this bit wrong then frankly and curtly your whole life will be going wrong. It will be unfolding on the wrong axiom you will be dancing to the wrong tune and playing in the wrong key. And then asking, well, why, why am I so unhappy? And actually, this is kind of a helpful starting point in that there is a certain kind of reality which is basically comprised of billions of people dancing to the wrong tune. Out of sync, out of rhythm, thinking reality is X when In actuality, it's why. And so their movements are woefully disharmonious. As are their sounds. You know, most cities are like this. They're like a giant symphony of instruments playing in different keys. Offbeat, without melody, uh, you know, generating a certain kind of chaos that can be rather overwhelming for sensitive creatures. And, you know, there's something glorious about that. Those big, unreal cities. I I personally love them. I love big, chaotic, offbeat cities. They are enchanting and they're deeply fascinating, but you won't find much reality there. So, where should we start if we're looking to find reality? The country, perhaps nature and birds and trees or physics looking into atoms and dark matter maybe biology life the body genetics the cosmos itself the distant stars and planets and our place in it or maybe society culture our minds or maybe something theological like god or Allah or Brahman the soul the spirit The monad, or logos, language, reason, mathematics. Maybe perception, or being, existence itself, life itself, sentience, consciousness, or maybe even death and non-existence. Where on this earth do we start if we want to understand what reality is? Well, I kind of know or suspect where most of you want to start. Maybe not all of you, but most of you. And I'm judging this on undergraduates who have taught through the years. The place to start is with stuff, with things, objects, materiality, the phenomenal world, material things that we can see and touch and hear and measure. That's what's real, right? Tables and trees and cars and soil and rock. I mean, rock seems hard and real enough, right? So let's start with rock. Well, whether you're an idealist or an empiricist or somewhere in between, the bare facts of the matter are that you actually never really know the bare reality of the rock. It is impossible. Why? Well, you have only five ways to access the rock. Through your ears, your eyes, your skin, your tongue, and your nose. So what you get when you find a rock is a sensory impression of some kind. Let's say a feeling of hardness on your bare foot as you step on it. Or a smooth grey looking thing in front of you when you look at it. And whatever refined scientific instruments you use will be similarly mediated through those senses. i.e., if you have a good microscope, that might allow you a much closer vision of the rock, right down to cells and particles. But it is still a vision, something you see with your eyes, albeit with rather more detail than your ordinary eyesight. So the reality of the rock that you have It's firstly and immediately your particular sensory impression. That is, it's a mere sensation of touch through your nerve endings or light through your retinas. It is secondly the way that your mind or brain interprets that sensory impression. And that implies particular conceptions that you have about it. Adults have learned the name of just about every object in the world, so you know that this particular object is called rock. In the spirit of open-minded scientific or philosophical inquiry, you might wish to suspend that word and whatever concepts you have about it and then leave an open space to evaluate what this object actually is, what it is in reality. But even in this case we do not have the rock in itself. We still only have a sensory impression coupled with cognition. So as I kind of warned you about at the beginning, our very first step into the terrain of metaphysics has led us very directly straight back to epistemology. And that's not some kind of epic fail. It's just a fact of the matter. We never have the bare reality of rocks or any other phenomenal thing. We only have our sensory perceptions and then conceptual interpretations of them. And this leads us to a really critical point. The appearance of seemingly real things to us is only ever just an appearance or a representation of the object to our minds. So actually, this doesn't condemn us to be some kind of subjective idealist who, you know, they say, well, there's nothing other than our ideas about things. We're not necessarily making that move. We're just saying, well, whatever the case may be, whatever the status of the rock is, we only have access to the appearance of the rock and not the rock in itself. And this puts serious limitations on our quest to know and understand what reality is. It means wherever we go with this question, from genetics to rocks to cities to the universe itself, we have to always consider that our minds or our interpretations are inextricably bound up in the process. So that is, our investigations of reality have to include something about our own minds doing the investigating. And as some of you surely know, even the queen of the hard sciences, that is um, physics, has arrived at this point. So the first big reality sandwich that I'm putting down for you to chew on, which is following really many of the great philosophers East and West, ancient and modern, from Nagarjuna to Shankara to Kant and Husserl, is one simple but very profound point often missed by people who never look into the matter. And that is, the appearance of reality to you is different from reality itself. They are clearly connected, but they are not the same thing. You only ever have appearances. You never have reality itself, be it a rock or a city. Now, from there, there are two roads to go down, roughly speaking, the road of realism and the road of anti-realism. The realists say, sure, we only have appearances, but we can still infer a mind-independent reality via objective scientific knowledge, Um, and all of what that has discovered about reality. The anti-realists say, well, actually, no, there's a full stop there. We simply can't establish a mind-independent reality with any degree of coherence. If we try and do that, what we find are endless contradictions. In a way, we get lost in theory, and the theory in the end doesn't add up to the reality we're trying to point to. Now, there are pretty good arguments both ways and a lot of very refined minds that occupy both of those positions. So I'll let you decide on your own position there. Nonetheless, as I said at the start, I'm not really going to be neutral on these kinds of questions. So I'm putting my cards on the table. I am an anti-realist. And the things I say from here will slide us in that direction. So if you are a realist or you tend more in that direction, please, I invite you to try and poke holes in what I say. The key point is a starting point, and that is we never have the rock. We only have our apprehensions of the rock. Now, the implication of this seems to me very, very clear. And it is that we'd better look much more closely at the way apprehension works, the way we apprehend things. So again, we're sort of led back to epistemology and all of its offshoots. And I'll return to this in a few episodes. But my next move for today is actually to put something a bit more tangible on the table. So you can leave this episode with something to actually bite into. Because so far, I've asked the question, what is a rock? And answered, well, we can't get what it is because we have only the appearance of it given to us. Which uh, is kind of annoying. It's the kind of thing that makes non-philosophers hate philosophers. The non-philosopher says, come on, it's just a bloody rock. I can hold it. It's hard, it's great, it's very simple. You're making it much more complex than it needs to be. And believe me, I get this frustration. But it's also why so many live in la-la land. Being simplistic about these kinds of questions is really the doorway to La La Land. It is what Husserl calls the naive standpoint of assuming that things are exactly as they appear. It's actually total naivety, or even ignorance. In any case, I'm going to offer what I think is the most important element of reality, and the thing we really, really must understand if we're going to get out of la-la land. And in fact, it's nothing we can see or touch. It's so intangible that some philosophers deny outright that it exists. Not many, but some. David Hume, for those of you who know your philosophy, is probably the most gifted of those. So it's at least a little controversial. But in the same breath, I think, pragmatically speaking, everything we do unfolds in this context. So all of us have kind of a deep, intuitive sense of it. Most of us sort of understand it, and we intuitively structure our lives around it. So what is this thing? Well, it's causation, cause and effect. If X occurs, then Y happens. And I want to put it to you that this is in fact the most fundamental structure of reality. Which is to say, it is the essential difference between living in la-la land, the place of ignorance or delusion or naivety, and living in reality as it actually is. Reality as it actually is, is seeing and understanding the structure of how causes and effects are connected, and how we as human beings are completely implicated in this structure. La La Land is the failure to see and understand this. So if we're examining a rock in itself, it's actually not so important in the grand scheme of things. But knowing what will happen when you lift the rock up and drop it on your foot, well, that is important. Knowing that something definitely will happen, there will be an effect which follows from the cause. And really, if you wanna be scientific about the reality of the rock, you really need to ask, what was the cause of it? Or what is it the effect of? And you could go back and examine it in terms of Volcanic eruptions or maybe some kind of meteorite or something of that nature So when we talk about the reality of things, it's actually not so useful But if we talk about the causal trajectory of things this actually is very very useful Because everything has a causal history a causal trajectory everything that exists in reality exists in relationships of causation okay so I'm putting this firmly down on the table and saying if we want to know the nature of reality we must start here because cause and effect is operative it is functional and this is actually the structure of reality it's how reality hangs together and actually we can leave the lofty realm of metaphysics because this is kind of a down-to-earth thing to contemplate. It's really quite as simple as planting pumpkin seeds and expecting pumpkins to grow. Things go extremely wrong when we plant pumpkin seeds and expect apples. Because, as you well understand, seeds and their fruits are tied together, causally. So the point would be that if you're looking for the reality of the pumpkin by just examining a pumpkin empirically by itself, then you won't get that far. You need to examine it causally. And this is true for just about all of the rules and conventions of of the human world, from medicine to the economy. If you poke your head into any such thing, any domain of experience or knowledge, I'll tell you what you'll see, causation. What is the symptom of a disease but the unfolding of an effect from a prior cause? All doctors know this, and good patients listen to them. Likewise with any economic event, although we're probably rather less trustful of economists, and maybe one of the reasons we're less trustful is because often they're too overconfident in their assertion of causation, of what happens, how A and B are connected. In any case, it kind of follows, if you really get causation, you really get most areas of knowledge. You have the access point to reality, and then the possibility of acquiring good knowledge about that reality. So I'm really saying, whatever aspect of reality you examine, from rocks, To genetics to bushfires to economies you will find causation that will be the structure now there are many things that follow from this central claim that i'm making that causation is really at the very root of reality it is reality's structure some of these things are very much ethical and we could even call them spiritual namely given that reality is essentially causal What should we do about that? What possibilities are there? What problems are there? What does that mean for freedom and constraint? How might this understanding enable us to live well? I count these among the most important questions that can be asked and contemplated by anyone. Full stop. But I'll leave them aside until the next few episodes. I want to finish the episode by going just a little bit deeper into the notion of cause and effect that I've been talking about. I want to add some garnish to the sandwich and maybe a little bit of complexity. So let's just take a pause and think about the phrase that I just said, cause and effect. The cause and the effect. The pumpkin seed giving rise to the Pumpkin fruit. There's quite a problem with this statement, I'm sorry to say, because otherwise the matter is very simple and elegant and, as I said before, quite down to earth. The problem is that the pumpkin seed itself, namely the cause, is the effect of something, namely a previously existing pumpkin fruit, the inside bit, where all the seeds are. And that in turn was the effect of something, namely a previously existing pumpkin seed, and so on and so forth. So it's actually never possible to identify an original or a sole cause. Every cause presupposes a prior cause. So This is one issue to pay heed to. Examining the reality of cause and effect induces us into a deep history of causes and effects, in the plural, that is really infinitely regressing. That means it extends backwards and backwards and backwards and backwards, with no beginning cause ever to be found. Unless you put down a theological plank right here and assert a first cause, which I personally don't do, but some of you might. And we can see things like evolutionary science goes down this path of infinitely regressing causation. And that's given us excellent understandings about biological reality. That is, human beings are causally connected to amoeba in the chain of evolution. Now, logicians generally don't like arguments that lead to infinite regress. But I think we could probably say in response... Reality doesn't particularly care for what logicians like and dislike. In any case, the issue is pretty clear. Once you analyse the infinitely regressing chain of causation, you're led very quickly to an insurmountable complexity. Complexity that is far beyond what humans can know and understand conceptually or intellectually. So, you know, to discover this is really important the first thing it does is knock out any kind of neat and tidy and conceptually coherent explanations for reality being what it is. When that's happening, it will always be a mere abstraction, an extrapolation, if you will. Something like a photo of something that's moving past really quickly. And you're just looking at the photo so the photo will only ever point to, or gesture, to what that moving thing is. So you could think of a fast car speeding past, that's reality. If you just take a photo of it, you don't really have reality, you have an abstraction of that reality. So I'm sorry to say we're led back again to the kind of epistemic or knowledge problems, because maybe, you know, it's one of the limitations of evolutionary science It works well enough in the lab when we're exploring genetics. But if it becomes a kind of ideological standpoint that you just adopt for everything, without doing the actual genetics, so everyone who's in the pub, who's on the bus, just has this view, well, that's just kind of a photo of reality. It doesn't actually tell us all that much. It might even be very misleading. The other issue is if we think clearly Or if you have a veggie patch, you can just watch. That infinitely regressing cause of the pumpkin seed which gives rise to its fruit. If you examine that, you'll see very clearly that the pumpkin depends on much more than merely its own seed to produce the next fruit. It's not as simple as seed A causes fruit B, because the plant will need well, frankly, a lot of love. You'll need sun and water, and good soil, fertilizer, protection from pests, all those things. As a failed gardener, I can assure you, you know, if you're missing some of those causes and conditions, you're not gonna get the pumpkin. So we need to think about causes in the plural and also conditions which are necessary for the fruit to come into existence. Okay, so I think now we're getting somewhere in our quest to understand the nature of reality. I think I've put something pretty tangible on the table for you to digest, even if it's not tangible enough to see directly with your own eyes. You probably have a fairly good sense that causation is unfolding. That's why you go to work. That's why you don't drop rocks on your foot. But to see that every aspect or thing in reality is really the product of infinitely regressing causes and a manifold of necessary conditions, is to have a very nuanced understanding of what reality is. And it's very, very helpful to arrive at that point. So really what I've been saying is whatever it is, be it a rock, or a gene, or a pumpkin, or even, dare I say, a virus, we can answer the question, what is the reality of this, by asking a further question, What are the causes and necessary conditions for that thing? That is the key question. And I suppose what I'm saying to you is if you continually bring that question to mind and apply it to any aspect of reality, you'll find that's the access point for getting good knowledge and good truth about what reality is. And maybe even beyond that, good insight, direct insight. Because the implication is really very clear. Once you understand that each particular thing is what it is, in lieu of its causes and conditions, actually we can no longer really speak in terms of particular things, like rocks or pumpkins. Instead, we must speak of and understand such things as enmeshed in and dependent upon causes and conditions. That is, we're led into a deep relationship of interdependency. rather than independent objects that exist discreetly and self-sufficiently. So if you're led in that direction, in my opinion, you're led very much into reality and you're leaving the door of La La Land. Okay, so this is a good place to stop, I think, for today. I've laid down my metaphysical sandwich. Next episode, I'm gonna add more garnish and then I'm gonna begin Turning back to the ethics of why this kind of understanding is so important for ethical or spiritual life. So, thank you for listening. I do again apologize for the long gap between podcasts. I've been teaching again a great deal, and that does pay the bills, so no avoiding it. Um, stay safe and well in this time of global pandemic, and stay tuned for more podcasts at Arate House.